Let's turn also to Daniel, the book of Daniel, Daniel chapter 8, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Lamentations, Ezekiel, Daniel, Daniel chapter 8. Now this chapter is full of mystery, but it is not impossible to understand. Uh, And when we understand it, we will see that it's full of encouragement, but also full of great warning. So Daniel 8. In the third year of King Belshazzar's reign, I, Daniel, had a vision after the one that had already appeared to me. In my vision, I saw myself in the citadel of Susa in the province of Elam. In the vision, I was beside the Uli Canal. I looked up and there before me was a ram with two horns standing beside the canal and the horns were long. One of the horns was longer than the other but grew up later. I watched the ram as he charged towards the west and the north and the south. No animal could stand against him and none could rescue from his power. He did as he pleased and became great. As I was thinking about this, suddenly a goat with a prominent horn between his eyes came from the west, crossing the whole earth without touching the ground. He came towards the two-horned ram I had seen standing beside the canal and charged at him in great rage. I saw him attack the ram furiously, striking the ram and shattering his two horns. The ram was powerless to stand against him. The goat knocked him to the ground and trampled on him, and none could rescue the ram from his power. The goat became very great. But at the height of his power, his large horn was broken off, and in its place, four prominent horns grew up towards the four winds of heaven. Out of one of them came another horn, which started small but grew in power to the south and to the east and towards the beautiful land. It grew until it reached the hosts of the heavens and it threw some of the starry host down to the earth and trampled on them. It set itself up to be as great as the prince of the host. It took away the daily sacrifice from him and the place of his sanctuary was brought low. Because of rebellion, the host of the saints and the daily sacrifice were given over to it. It prospered in everything it did, and truth was thrown to the ground. Then I heard a holy one speaking, and another holy one said to him, How long will it take for the vision to be fulfilled? The vision concerning the daily sacrifice, the rebellion that causes desolation, and the surrender of the sanctuary and of the host that will be trampled underfoot. He said to me, it will take 2,300 evenings and mornings. Then the sanctuary will be re-consecrated. While I, Daniel, was watching the vision and trying to understand it, there before me stood one who looked like a man. And I heard a man's voice from the Uli calling, Gabriel, tell this man the meaning of the vision. As he came near the place where I was standing, I was terrified and fell prostrate. Son of man, he said to me, understand that the vision concerns the time of the end. While he was still speaking to me, I was in a deep sleep with my face to the ground. Then he touched me and raised me to my feet. He said, I'm going to tell you what will happen later in the time of wrath, because the vision concerns the appointed time of the end. The two-horned ram that you saw represents the kings of Media and Persia. The shaggy goat is the king of Greece, and the large horn between his eyes is the first king. 
The four horns that replaced the one that was broken off represent four kingdoms that will emerge from his nation but will not have the same power. In the latter part of their reign, when rebels have become completely wicked, a stern-faced king, a master of intrigue, will arise. He will become very strong, but not by his own power. He will cause astounding devastation and will succeed in whatever he does. He will destroy the mighty men and the holy people. He will cause deceit to prosper and he will consider himself superior. When they feel secure, he will destroy many and take his stand against the prince of princes. Yet he will be destroyed, but not by human power. The vision of the evenings and mornings that have been given you is true, but seal up the vision for it concerns the distant future. I, Daniel, was exhausted and lay ill for several days. Then I got up and went about the king's business. I was appalled by the vision. It was beyond understanding. I'd like to begin today by telling you about the actual historical events behind this vision. It's the account of the life and rule of a Greek king by the name of Antiochus. Antiochus came to power in 175 BC. Uh, the Greek Empire had been established for about 150 years by Alexander the Great, and the Greek Empire was on the way down. Rome was beginning Rome was on the way to becoming the world power. Antiochus originally ruled a part of the Greek Empire that was centred in Asia Minor. But he was ambitious. He wanted to um, take control of more of the empire, particularly that section that was centred in Egypt. And so uh, he began to, or he decided to invade that Egyptian part of the, the Greek Empire, which was reigned by another king, another Greek king. Now, not only was Antiochus politically ambitious, he, was also, he also wished to be a religious figure. He gave himself a blasphemous title. He called himself Basilus Antiochus Theos Ep Epiphanes, which means King Antiochus, God Manifest. Actually, behind his back, people didn't call him Epiphanes, he called, they called him Epimenes, which means the madman. And uh, he was a madman. His madman title best suited him in his later career. So here is this man. He calls himself King Antiochus, God manifest. Will such a man succeed? Well, initially, it seems, yes, he's very successful. In 169 BC, he, he, he travels down to to, to, he invades Egypt, and, or the part of the Greek empire that was centred in Egypt. And of course, in order to go from Asia Minor to Egypt, you have to travel through Israel. And without going into too much detail, in Israel, he experienced a huge amount of opposition and he crushed the rebellion in a, 
in a way which was cruel and crude to the extreme. He savagely attacked and damaged Jerusalem, uh, killing over a, a hundred thousand people in Jerusalem, forty thousand people in three days. He entered the Holy of Holies in the temple in Jerusalem and defiled it. He actually sacrificed a pig on the altar in the Holy of Holies. He took away the temple furniture. He installed his own man as the high priest. The following year, he came again, and it was even worse. He massacred thousands of Jews as they gathered for worship on the Sabbath day. He further vandalized the temple, set up a statue of Zeus in the Holy of Holies. He sacrificed, not pigs this time, but human beings on the altar. Circumcision was forbidden. Unclean meat was made mandatory to eat. Circum uh, sorry, uh, the Sabbath and other feast days were forbidden. And over the next three years, heathen sacrifices were offered in the temple. But his rule was short. After three years and ten days, he died insane. He was the madman. And the terror was over. And in December 164 BC, the temple was re-consecrated and Jewish worship and sacrifice recommenced. Now, we know about these events because, because they're history. We know them from history. But they were these events were predicted in this vision 380 years before the events occurred. So, so you will have seen that the vision that Daniel receives is in two parts. The first part is full of uh, you know, symbols, uh, the, the ram, the goat, the horns. The second part is full of words. And the words in the second part of the vision explain the symbols in the first part of the vision. Uh, it, it came to Daniel in the third year of King Belshazzar. This is before the Medes and the Persians destroy Babylon or attack and take over Babylon. It's the year 548 BC. And Daniel, he sees, a, first of all, he sees this powerful ram with two horns. And he's told that this ram with two horns represents the Medes and the Persians, the two horns of, of that empire. Uh, but, and that's in the future because the Medes and the Persians haven't arrived yet. But soon Daniel sees further into the future. He sees a goat with a single horn. And he is told that the goat represents the kingdom of Greece. And uh, the, the prominent horn is the first king. Anyone know who the first king of Greece was? Or the great emperor of Greece? Alexander the Great. He was Alexander the Great. He was a, a remarkable person. By the age of 21, he was a general in the Greek army. By, by age 26, he had conquered the known world. By age 33, he was dead. Daniel 8 says this about Alexander. The goat became very great, but at the height of his power, his large horn was broken off, and in its place, four prominent horns grew up towards the four winds of heaven. When Alexander died, at the height of his power, 
his kingdom, the Greek Empire, was divided up into four sections ruled by four kings. Um, and so it remained for another 150 years. And one of those four sections came to be ruled by this man, Antiochus Epiphanes, the fiendish madman that I told you about before. Now, see how Daniel's vision predicts Antiochus's reign. Verse 9, uh, Out of one of them came another horn, which started small, but grew in power to the south and the east and towards the beautiful land. Antiochus started small, but he expanded, headed south to Egypt, and came into the beautiful land, the promised land, Israel. It grew until it reached the host of the heavens, and it threw down some of the starry host down to the earth and trampled on them. It set itself up to be as great as the prince of the host. Here is Antiochus calling himself God manifest. It took away the daily sacrifice from him and the place of the sanctuary was brought low. Because of rebellion, the host of the saints and the daily sacrifice were given over to it. It prospered in everything it did and truth was thrown to the ground. Here is Antiochus desecrating the temple, killing Jews, burning lots of scrolls. Thousands of scrolls of the Torah were destroyed. Now, remember that this vision that is something that Daniel received 380 years before the events. Now, of course, modern scholars say, well, that's impossible. This is not prophecy, this is propaganda. You know, um, it was written after the events and the person who wrote it pretended that Daniel had written the, the prophecy, you know, 380 years before to make the Jews feel better about what Antiochus had done to them. But, 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 but here is God's word. It's not propaganda, it's prophecy. See how carefully Daniel documents the vision. He says um, in verses 1 and 2, In the third year of King Belshazzar's reign, I, Daniel, had a vision. In my vision I saw myself in the citadel of Susa, in the province of Elam, in the vision I was beside the Ulai Canal. David, uh, Daniel gives the date. He gives the geographical um, detail. Um, it, it, it's an issue of believing God. Do, do we have a God who knows everything before it happens? Do we have a God who, 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 who controls history, who, who makes history happen? Do we have a God who is capable of telling his prophets beforehand? Exactly what will happen? Of course. It's a matter of believing in God, the one who is in control of history. And what we see here is history from God's perspective. Um, the, the, if, if, you, if you read world history at the time, uh, you know, history written by, by people, um, you see that it's very different from this kind of history. They, they focus on Alexander the Great. Here is this amazing man, so young, so powerful. How does God see Alexander the Great? He sees him as a billy goat, 
rushing across the world so quickly that his feet, even feet don't even touch the ground. This, this great conflict between Greece and Persia, which historians have written huge books about, it's just a scrap between a billy goat and a ram in God's eyes. And Antiochus, well, we know about Antiochus because of what he did, and but he's a minor figure. He, he, he's just a, a small Greek king. He did some pretty terrible things in Jerusalem, but, you know, the, there is Alexander the Great and there is Antiochus, the little madman. He doesn't write a mention. But from God's perspective, it's totally different, you see. Antiochus is the central figure in the vision that Daniel receives. He, and, and, and why is he the central figure? Because he grows towards the beautiful land. He threatens God's people. Not only is he growing south and north and east, he is also growing up. He, 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 he's growing up to heaven. He sets himself up as God. God's concern in history is always with his own honor and always with his people and with the beautiful land. And so this is history from God's point of view. The truly great events of history are not what we might read in the history books, but they are the events that affect the honor of God and, and the welfare of his people. They are the truly great events from God's perspective. And so we have this amazing prophecy. But there's more to see. In, in Matthew 24, Jesus, um, Jesus quotes or, or he, he refers to this prophecy in his teaching. I'll just read some words from Matthew 24. Um, Jesus says, so when you see standing in the holy place the abomination that causes desolation, spoken of through the prophet Daniel, let the reader understand, then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let no one on the roof of his house go down to take anything out of the house. Let no one in the field go back to get his cloak. How dreadful it will be for those in those days for pregnant women and nursing mothers. And Jesus goes on to describe more of how terrible those days will be. At that time, the sign of the Son of Man will appear in the sky and all the nations of the earth will mourn. They will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of the sky with power and great glory. And he will send his angels with a loud trumpet, with a loud trumpet call, and they will gather his elect from the four winds from one end of the heavens to the other. What's Jesus talking about? Why does Jesus refer back to the profanities of Antiochus that are prophesied in Daniel's vision? Well, Jesus is predicting, um, he, he's predicting terrible days in these words, but there, there are two sets of days, two different sets of terrible days. In the first instance, he is talking about what would happen to Jerusalem in 70 AD. You know, about 40 years or so after Jesus died and rose again, the, 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 this time the Roman, the Roman army 
under a general named Titus, besiege Jerusalem and utterly destroy it. This time, more than a million Jews were killed. Unspeakable atrocities were committed. The temple was absolutely razed to the ground. Titus took the temple furniture and paraded with it through what was left of the city to show his victory. The whole Jerusalem was knocked down, stone by stone. The whole area was ploughed. They erected a, a temple to Jupiter, a temple to the god Jupiter in the place where the Jewish temple had stood. Jesus' prophecy became stark reality. Jerusalem was trodden down by the Gentiles. Just as Antiochus had desecrated Jerusalem in 167 BC, so Titus destroyed, that the Romans removed Jerusalem from the map in 70 AD. And so in Matthew 24, Jesus is first of all talking about the raising of the raising of Jerusalem by the Romans. But why does he refer back to the Antiochus prophecy? Because what Antiochus did 200 or so years before Christ, 167 years, are just a foretaste of what Titus would do in 70 AD. This is the way that God's enemies operate. But in, in Matthew 24, Jesus is not just talking about 70 AD and the destruction of Jerusalem. He's also predicting the final conflict, the great end time battle, which will finish the history of the world, the, the world that, that we know it, and, and, and are still to come. Sometime, we don't know when in the future, still to come, is the great and final Antichrist, the man of lawlessness, and he will also follow the pattern of Antiochus in 167 BC and of Titus in 70 AD. We read from 2 Thessalonians 2 before. And um, let me just read some of that again, what it says about this final Antichrist. We ask you, brothers, not to become easily unsettled or alarmed by some prophecy, report or letter supposed to have come from us, saying that the day of the Lord has already come. Don't let anyone deceive you in any way, for that day will not come until the rebellion occurs and the man of lawlessness is revealed, the man doomed to destruction. He will oppose and will exalt himself over everything that is called God or is worshipped, so that he sets himself up in God's temple, proclaiming himself to be God. See, here's, here's another, it's just the pattern of Antiochus again. It's just the pattern of Titus again. It's, it, it's the same pattern again. This is how God's enemies operate. During the Second World War, many Christians thought that Hitler was the Antichrist. Here he is, killing six million Jews. Here he is, declaring himself to be the ruler of the world. Look at him parading as if he is God himself. They thought himself to, they thought that Hitler was the Antichrist. And you can't blame them. They were right in a sense. He, is, he was an 
Antichrist figure. John, in his letter, says that many Antichrists will come. Not capital A Antichrist, not the Antichrist, the final one, but many Antichrists will come. Joseph Stalin was an Antichrist figure. He, uh, all the Russian peasants that were killed during his reign of terror. Khrushchev, another um, Russian uh, leader, he, uh, he was the leader when the Russians were developing their space program, you know, the Sputnik program. And he said, um, he, said, he said this, we will go right up to heaven if there is a heaven and we will go to the throne of God if there is a throne of God and we will topple God off his throne if there is a God. You see, he's another Antichrist figure, setting himself up as being greater than God, seeking to tear God down. But of course, Khrushchev spoke too soon. God did the toppling. Khrushchev uh, went into the history history books. There have been many such figures. Nebuchadnezzar, Antiochus, Nero. Even the Pope at times fills some of these criteria. Hitler, Stalin, Idi Amin, Pol Pot. The list goes on. Antichrist figures. One day, the final capital A Antichrist figure will arise. He will become all-powerful. He will deceive the whole world, except for the elect of God. But don't worry. Look at what happens. Look at what always happens to these kind of men. In Daniel 8, Antiochus, he's described uh, in verse 23, uh, he is a stern-faced king, a master of intrigue. He will become very strong, but not by his own power. He will cause astounding devastation and will succeed in whatever he does. Yet he will be destroyed, but not by human power. He will arise, but not by human power. He will be destroyed, but not by human power. It's all in the hands of God. Alexander is cut down. In his prime, Antiochus dies after only three and a half years of rule. Uh, that is, three and a half years after he invaded Egypt. Uh, an insane, insane madman. The Roman Empire is powerful for a time, but it goes as all the human empires do. And when the final Antichrist is revealed, what will Jesus do then? Well, we'll do this. I should have a microphone that I can into, but I can't. He will just just blow the the Antichrist away. Um, 2 Thessalonians 2 verse 8. Then the lawless one will be revealed, whom the Lord Jesus will overthrow with the breath of his mouth and destroy by the splendor of his coming. Yes, the Antichrist will be a super powerful figure. All the world will go after him. He will exalt himself above God. Don't be deceived. Don't worry. Jesus will come and just blow him away. Are we prepared for those kind of events? We, we don't know. These things might happen in our lifetime. There, there, might be, there might be times of great trouble and hardship and persecution ahead. 
What sort of attitude should we take during these times? Well, I love the way that Daniel responds, and I think he's a great model. Uh, You know, verse 27, I, Daniel, was exhausted and lay ill for several days. Then I got up and went about the king's business. Daniel is shattered by the vision. He is emotionally wrecked. But when he recovers, he gets up and goes about the king's business. He just goes back to the office. He doesn't spend his time scanning the clouds, waiting, wondering, it's going to happen today, is it going to happen today? He doesn't finish working. He doesn't, he, he, he doesn't let the prophecy derail him from his obedience. He just goes on with the king's business. And that's the kind of attitude Jesus demands of us. He wants us to keep on with the business of the king right until the time he returns. Not busy speculating about future events, uh, you know, um, giving up our our work, giving up our normal activities, just um, scanning the clouds, waiting for his return. Simple faithfulness. Jesus says, woe to the person who is not busy with the king's business when he returns. Realize that even the strongest and greatest man in the universe is nothing without God. Realize that sin and evil will be defeated when times of hardship and trouble come, and they will just go about the king's business. Be patient. The Lord will return. He will overthrow the evil one with the breath of his mouth and the splendor of his coming. So Daniel 8, yeah, it's hard to understand. It's mysterious, but here is the twofold message. Don't be deceived. Don't worry. Don't be deceived. These massive anti-God, anti-Christ figures that dominate world history are nothing. They have no power of their own. In God's eyes, they are nothing. And secondly, do not worry. God will always continue to rule. He will finally defeat all these powers through Jesus Christ, who has already won the victory and who is at God's right hand right now, reigning over it all. Your job is simply to get on with God's business. Shall we pray? Our Father in heaven, we thank you that as human kingdoms come and go, as they always have right through history, your kingdom continues to grow and the gates of hell will never prevail against it. We thank you for that marvellous picture in Psalm 2 of you laughing at the power brokers of the world who reject you. And we, we also think of that warning in that psalm to be reconciled with you lest we perish in the way. Father, help us to trust you in all circumstances. Help us to believe you when you say that none of the Antichrist figures who come and go in world history can ultimately succeed. We thank you that there is a day in your mind when Jesus Christ will be revealed, when every knee will bow and every tongue confess that he is Lord. And Lord, thank you for these promises. They help us to persevere. Thank you that your word shows us things that just can't be seen to the naked eye. 
Please give us eyes to see and ears to hear and hearts and minds to trust you and to take you at your word. We pray in Jesus' name.